Welcome to the Faith Today podcast, conversations inspired by Canada's Christian magazine. What's in a song? A lot, it turns out. I'm Karen Stiller, and I'm joined in this podcast by Mike Tapper, a professor and chair of Southern Wesleyan University's Division of Religion. Mike is also a researcher who helped perform a lyrical analysis of the 30 most commonly sung hymns and 30 of the most commonly sung contemporary worship songs over the past five years, and then explored some of the theology of what they found. I hope you enjoy this interview. The news is not all bad. So Mike, how did you actually do this study and why? Tell us, give us the bird's eye view of the whole study. This started as a project in my PhD life uh, at St. Paul University, just in Ottawa. I've always been fascinated with discrepancies that might conceivably exist between what we say we believe and how that actually fleshes out in practice. And so in doctoral world, I was uh, considering some research projects and I've grown up in and around evangelicalism, Canadian evangelicalism, and I was interested in focusing in on a, a worship practice or some form of corporate worship practice that reflects who we are. And I locked in on the, uh, on the music that we sing here about 10 years or so ago. I'm quite convinced that music has a formative component to it as it relates to what we believe and how we actually believe. And so my research project was orient- oriented around the Trinity. If we say we believe that God is three in one, then is that actually fleshed out in one of our primary worship practices? So it was Trinity as a topic and the environment in which I evaluated was the music that we sing. Okay. And are you a musician, Mike, or do you just love music? Or how, how did you zero in on the music part of it? I, I love music. I'm married to a musician. I am much more of a GCD and a capo kind of guitar player, truthfully. But I, I, love, I love corporate worship. I am in the academy right now uh, at Southern Western University and loving my experience here. But at heart, Karen, I'm a pastor. My world has kind of gone my feet have been in two different worlds for most of my career so far, one foot in the local church and one foot in the academy. So I don't think this is a word, Karen, but I fashioned myself to be a pracademic. <laughs> That's good. New word for your viewers and listeners. Yeah, I love the local church and I love the academy. And my interest in this project has been very much to advance the kingdom in a way that honors God well and loves the church well. Huh. And of course, we're recording this conversation in a time when singing is not allowed in our churches. So that's an odd thing. And I think we're all realizing how much we miss it. I wanted to, as I thought about speaking with you about this uh, investigation <laughs> you did into worship songs and hymns, I was thinking about music, uh, worship music, particularly in my own life. And I will often, you know, load up a song list that I've created and on spot my Spotify account of worship music and I'll walk. And for me, that's really a prayerful, beautiful, worshipful time. And so music is so powerful. Can you just speak to that a little bit first and then we'll dive into some of what you discovered? Well, I completely agree with you, Karen. The power of music is significant and meaningful. We can look at scripture as a perfect example of that with the Psalms. Words 
stick. They mean something. And I'm convinced today in our context that these songs that we're singing have even more of a formative impact than maybe even we even realize today. And oftentimes, as a researcher, just an intriguing sort of little project, every once in a while, I'll ask a group of people, I'd encourage you to maybe consider even doing it as well to test this out, a three-questioned little exercise where you ask a series of people a famous passage of scripture. John 3.16, Romans 12.1, ask that question, ask what was the topic, not context, what was the topic of last week's sermon? And then the third question, uh, fill in the blank, you call me out upon the... (laughs) (laughs) Water. Oftentimes, uh, and I'm guilty as as well. Um, That's good. Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, EFC, has done some tremendous work on biblical literacy uh, over the last decade and more. Uh, We know that we're reading the Bibles less uh, today. That's a sad reality among evangelicals. We know sociologically and neurologically that our retention, even today, is different than it was a few decades ago. So we're having a hard time even retaining content, Karen, for, for like a sermon, like topic, not content, but actually even topic. But right. the, the words of these songs that you alluded to, that you, that you that you reference, they stick, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, they're very catchy. You're right. <laughs> yeah. It's not the only way that revelation manifests itself today. God uses a variety of other ways, but I'm convinced that, that music has a pretty formative impact on us. Our theology is in large part, I would argue, coming from the music that we're seeing. Oh, okay. So what, what is our theology based on our music then? What do, uh, what do the lyrics that you studied tell us about how we're viewing God, ourselves, and the world, I guess? Well, the study that uh, we engaged here in our project was emphasizing essentially three main components. So Trinitarianly, how do we view God? Uh, Trinitarianly, how do we we view ourselves as the worshiper? And Trinitarianly, how do we view the world around us? So those three main components were the emphasis of the study that we we engaged. We looked at things, obviously, Trinitarianly. If if you're going to evaluate music this way, you're going to look at things like divine names, and you're going to look at the things that God does. And you're going to look at how God, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, interact with one another. Uh, Those are questions around God. You're going to ask questions, or we ask questions, about how do we evaluate ourselves as worshipers? Do we view ourselves as plural, as singular? What do we do when we express what we're doing when we're worshiping? And cosmologically, how do we view the world? How do we view time, past, present, and future? <clears throat> do we emphasize material and immaterial? These are, the, these are the sorts of questions that we oriented on in our study. Okay, now you've given me a new word, another new word. That's two new words so far. And this uh, Trinitarianly. So you're, uh, explain that. You're, you're viewing it all through I'm the, the filter of the Trinity, I'm guessing, is what you mean. Sure. And broadly, uh, like many of your listeners and, and 
viewers, I would argue that the way we view God has a profound effect on the way we interact with God, the way we view ourselves, and the way we view the world around us. So okay. essentially okay. what I've done as a practical theologian is I've, I've taken a doctrine that in our evangelical world is 1.1, Karen, in virtually all of our statements of belief. And I've said and suggested that if this is if this is one one in our statements of belief, then then what are the effects of that? So, admittedly, I've taken it pretty broadly, uh, more broadly than most people are when it comes to discussing the Trinity. I'm going much further than non-relational evaluation of the Trinity as clover and and cherry pies and vapor, water and air and all these sorts of things. And I'm, I'm suggesting that Trinity has significant impact on really virtually everything. Our views of God have a profound impact on us. Okay. I hadn't, pardon me, I had not heard the cherry pie one before. So <laughs> let's, 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 let's just leave that one. <laughs> okay. I can, I can, my imagination will uh, take me there, I guess. Um, so you discovered, I think that songs and hymns actually mentioned Jesus more um, and that the Trinity is, is the Trinity missing from much of our music, Mike? Well, there are two fascinating things, Karen, that we discovered when we looked at divine names. We looked at the songs and and specifically whether or not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are either explicitly or implicitly presented. And what we found was, as you've uh, suggested it in our study, we found quite significantly that when it came to the three persons of the Trinity, that Jesus took the divine names quite significantly, but 70% of the divine names in the music that we're singing uh, are oriented towards Jesus. So a significant uh, amount. And obviously, what I would not contend or suggest is that it's a bad thing for us to sing about Jesus. Please. uh, Right. Sure, sure. Don't hear me say that. But uh, what we did discover, which was really quite fascinating, was not so much that Jesus is represented, but that God the Father and God the Holy Spirit were almost absent, not completely absent. Of course, there's okay. there's some songs that we're singing that that uh, obviously reference Holy Spirit and Father. Good, good Father is one. Holy Spirit by the Torwaltz, another. But by and large, when it comes to our references to God, we tend to really focus in on Jesus to the absence of God the Father okay. and, and God the Holy Spirit. And and, and essentially the, the, the question out of that that I present to you is, and those who are here is, what does that do to our view of God when Jesus essentially takes all the divine names? Yeah, so is this kind of a what came first question, like the the music talking mostly and only about Jesus or the our theology our personal relationship with God reflected in that way, or they feed into each other, I guess. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And um, certainly again, what I, what I would not suggest uh, is that we ought to be speaking less or focusing less on our, uh, on our relationship with Jesus. But if we, if we do truly say that we are a Trinitarian, then how does that relationship reflect the relationship that we possess with the Holy Spirit as, as our yeah. divine mediator and, and God the Father as we, we present our worship to the, the king of the universe. Uh, what does that actually 
if that's absent, again, I, I present it as a question, then what does that do with our view of God? Yeah. Okay. Does God care about the song lyrics? Yeah. Well, the Bible seems to care. Um, yeah. And um, I guess my, 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 my question or my, my statement is that if we have a, a, a beautiful, well-rounded picture in scripture of a creator God and a, a mediator Holy Spirit and, and Jesus, then why not try to tell the story as uh, the grand narrative, as beautiful as it actually is, if we're just focused in on a story. Some of your listeners and viewers might be story writers. And so you know, as a story writer, that a story has a beginning and a story has a, a, a rise to a climax and a story has an ending. Salvation history has a beginning and an ending, Genesis 1 and Revelation 21. And there's, there's a whole lot of stuff there in the middle. If we're focusing on one week of Jesus' life, as the whole of the story, I would just say, let's focus in on the, the richness of the story. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Um, Mike, I, I think we, some of us, <laughs> not naming names, have the idea that choruses and, or contemporary Christian music maybe sometimes is shallow and hymns are profound and deep, or people think the opposite, that hymns are or not the opposite, but differently, that hymns are, you know, boring and dull and awful and contemporary music is where, where it's at. So set us straight. Are, are, are hymns better? Are, is contemporary music better theologically? These are, that's a, that's a fair question and a question that I hear a lot. And I'm sure that you hear a lot as well uh, in your context. Um, One of the surprise, the big surprises for me, I have to admit, uh, when we entered into this discussion, I had the, the research that I had done a, a little over a decade ago was primarily focused on contemporary worship music, the songs that we're, that we're singing in our churches uh, primarily today, a lot, of our, a lot of our churches today. The, a gap in my research was the hymns. Hymns are harder to evaluate, Karen. I'll be uh, truthful and honest because with CCLI, your viewers and listeners would, would know that if you're in, in and around a church, CCLI audits churches, asks for songs, uh, the songs that they're singing. They compile all that data. And that data is actually really valuable to know what songs are really, really fit, popular. Hymns are public domain. So they're harder, actually, to, to, um, to assess. We have a so, hunch. Let me let the CCLI is the licensing body, correct? That's correct. Okay. And, and so you're saying because hymns our public domain, we don't know what hymns are being sung so much. So there, there was a gap okay. in my research. I had wanted to try to, to verify and, and address the question that, that you asked, that, that hymns are much deeper, but I didn't really have a, a platform to, to do that. I found it a few years ago through the, the great people at the Hymn Society of the United States and Canada, and I came across a site, maybe you might be familiar with it, hymnary.org. It's a wonderful, wonderful site uh, that evaluates actually uh, and provides really great services for people who love hymns and utilize hymns. Well, they have a top a top list as well. And so I just considered it to be an absolute goldmine because finally I had something to, 
to say tangibly, these are the songs, these are the, these are the hymns that are actually being utilized the most. And so essentially what I, what I, our research did in the last five years, we looked at the most common contemporary songs, uh, worship songs, choruses, and hymns that were singing 30 and 30 and compared. And we asked the question that you've, you have asked, um, what does the, what do the hymns tell us trend wise? What do the contemporary worship songs tell us trend wise and shock of shocks? Truthfully, I have to admit there was not a whole lot of um, discrepancy between what we saw in divine naming. Jesus takes the divine names in both the hymns and the choruses. When we look at what Jesus is doing in the songs high emphasis on redemption, almost absent Old Testament, almost absent creation, a little bit of um, what will happen in the uh, eschaton, in the the eschatological piece. But the graphs were almost, Karen, identical. And that was a huge shock for us. Yeah, that is is very surprising. I I would have completely assumed, my bias would have been that the hymns would have been more you know, fulsome, (laughs) I guess. Yeah. And this is where I'd love to just insert Karen that I love, I love the local church and I love music and the project that we did. I can tell you motive wise that it is motivated by a constructive criticism. I, I sympathize. Maybe your listeners are worship leaders uh, and they may be thinking, you may be thinking, well, that's easy for a, a researcher in in the academy to say that, but he doesn't know what it's like on a week to week basis to to be the one to be mm-hmm. picking the songs. And, and and this is where I insert that anything that I've attempted to do is to take the great work that God uses through the music that we sing and make it better. So yeah, every once in a while, I'll have some people who will say. You know, tell me a tell me what a really bad song is. You know, uh, <laughs> oh, that was my next question. The worst song. Well, you're probably you're not going to get an answer from me because my interest is really more in in trends. Really, um, yes, it's, yes, it's diet, theological diet, if you will. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's what I'm more interested. I'm not. I'm not interested in skewering uh, a particular songwriter, nor am I interested in showing up on a Sunday morning and counting every song um, for right. its divine naming. I, I just don't see that as productive and worshipful. <laughs> yeah. No, that's good. That's fair. All right. So I won't ask you about the worst song out there, uh, but I, I would like to ask you about your favorite song and your favorite hymn as we wind up, Mike. I think that would be, I would just love to hear that. Well, credit to songwriters today. And this is where I, I want to pump some tires into uh, worship leaders uh, who are with us. I, I think we're doing, we're, we're being purposeful today, uh, more purposeful in the songs that we're, that we're singing. So I see, I'm, I'm encouraged when I hear and worship with songs that are purposefully creedal. We've heard some recently, this I believe. King of Kings is a, is a song that uh, many people are singing in churches today that's very purposeful in its divine, uh, divine naming. There's, uh, there are some rich um, chorus slash hymns 
contemporary, like how deep the father's love for us. That is a, it's a great song that uh, actually shows some of the relationship that exists between God, the father and God, the son, how deep the father's love for us. Yes. But how deep the pain of searing loss, the father turns his face away from the, from the son. Those are, those are rich, rich lyrics, and and people are getting their their theology from them. Yeah. I say to people uh, as an encouraging word, uh, hopefully to our worship leaders, that that they are the theological gatekeepers in our churches today. And I, I don't wow. say I don't say that lightly. Some people might perceive it as a privilege; others might perceive it as a burden. I hope you perceive it as a, as a privilege, worship leader. If it's true that we're getting our theology from the music that we sing, by extension, that suggests that the people who are selecting the music have a pretty big role to play. And so I want to encourage those of you who are with us today that are involved in worship leading, you are a theological gatekeeper in your church. Mike, thank you very much. When I take my walk later today with my uh, earbuds in, I'm going to be listening a little bit differently. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.